Here we are, part four of the Beatitudes as we've been working our way through this. You know, it's interesting. I was telling somebody in the back uh, how nervous I actually am today, which is weird because I don't normally get nervous. But there are so many familiar faces in here from past places that I guess I just get nervous because of it, you know, and it was interesting, uh, Jared and Jordan, they're the two guys who look alike in here. Um, I used to be their youth pastor their senior year in high school, so to see them up here with a baby, or to see Jared up here with a baby is weird, right? I feel old now, like, he has a kid, no! Which I'm sure a lot of you have experienced as well yourselves. You know, the one person I was talking to in the back said, yeah, I used to teach them in school when they were really little, and so it's like, man, how do you feel? Right? I'm kidding. <laughs> Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, please. Here we are at the end of the Beatitudes in the sermon series, Jesus Really Said That. And today we're going to get into it because I'm on a clock. First 12 verses. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began teaching them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, For they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is the reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let us pray. Father God, we come right now and we are so grateful for who and what you are. The things that you do and the ways that you work. Father, we come uh, in awe of you and we praise you and ask that you remove all distractions, internal and external from us, Father. So that we can solely focus upon you. I pray that it is your words that are spoken to your children and not mine. Father, I pray that... Uh, you allow us to receive whatever is of you and please close us to whatever is not of you, Father. Lord, you are God Almighty and we couldn't do this without you. And so we just give you all the thanks and praise. We exalt you to the highest because that's where you deserve to be. We thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Now, some of you can correct me if I'm if I'm wrong in this, and, and, and but... It's an interesting thing because we're talking about persecution today, right? And, and I don't know if any of you guys ever sign up and say, yes, I want to be beat for Jesus, right? Yes, when I get whooped for him or when I get mistreated or abused because of him, I go home and I celebrate and I have a party. Well, that's what the disciples did. If we look in the book of Acts, there's a, in, at the end of chapter 4, they get beat. They get jailed and beat. And what do they do? They go home 
And they asked God for more power and more authority to be able to do more signs and miracles in his name. I don't know about you, but I'm going to go like, God, we really got to talk about this. Like, you know what just happened? Why are they doing this to me? Right? Like, all these things that would go through my mind. And here they are, and they go home, and I'm thinking, like, their chest bumping, right? And they're for, like, if you guys watch baseball, when a big home run gets hit, they're forearm bashing, right? They're doing those handshakes, like, boom, right? They're doing all that. And, I, and that's what I kind of envision in my mind that the disciples are doing when they come home after just getting whooped in the name of Jesus. Like they say, we were found worthy to be beaten in his name. That's an interesting contrast to kind of how some of us live when we don't even want to talk about Jesus at work or at school, even with our friends, because we're afraid that they're not going to like us. They're not going to be our friend. We're going to get fired. We're going to be alone. Like there's all these things that go through our minds when it comes to talking about Jesus when the one things that the disciples say is that all we're supposed to do is just tell about the greatness of him in our life. And I always challenge us to look like look behind us and see what God has brought us from and how can, can we not tell people where, what he's done. Right? Today we're going to hear a testimony of someone who was probably at the end of their rope and hear a story of redemption, how God brought her back. Right? Scripture even says things must die in order to have new life. And so I have a friend. Pastor Ken has a friend. His name's Kenny. He's in Delhi. Indian gentleman. And he's a missionary sent to America to share the gospel. I don't know about you, but to me that just sounds weird, right? Like people send people to America to share the God? Like, aren't we a Christian? Like, aren't we a Christian nation? Shouldn't we know the difference? Like, isn't that weird? But he is an Indian missionary sent to America to share the gospel. And we were, I used to, and before I did my internship with Almond Valley, where I met Jordan and Jared, um, or Jordan and Jared, um, I was doing a, a, a mini internship in Delhi. And we were sharing the gospel with Sikh people. And I just sat there one day with him and I asked him, like, share your story of how you came to know Christ. And he's like, oh, that's an amazing story. I was like, all right, go ahead. And he says, well, I didn't know Jesus at this time. He goes, but there were radicalists, Muslim and Hindus, that were at war with each other. He goes, and then there were Christians who were not at war with anyone. So the radical Hindus and Muslims would be killing each other, and then they both would be killing Christians. He goes, but the difference was Christians never fought back. And I didn't understand why. He goes, and so I began to ask them what was so good about their God that they could just die for him and not fight back. Why were they not radicals too? Defending themselves 
as a result. He goes, and as I began this journey of asking those questions and seeking for myself, he said, I began to learn of a love and a grace that I had never understood before. He goes, and now here I am, sharing that same gospel with Americans. I was like, wow. Right, when we think about persecution and, and, and what that might look like, right, so here we've walked through seven Beatitudes or things that are, I would call, Christian character, right? And, and they are all founded upon the one before it, right? Because I'm never going to get persecuted if I don't understand or believe that the first seven are of me. Matter of fact, I'm probably never going to get persecuted if I'm not in the living of the first seven, Right? So I used, to, I used to tell these people, like, I don't know how many of us have ever come against conflict with the evil one, right? I'm talking about running, running into him, right? Like, bow, bow, bow. Like, everywhere I turn, everywhere I look, the evil one is there, and we're just knocking heads. Well, somebody had told me, well, if you're running parallel with him, you're never going to run into him. You've got to be running perpendicular to him to collide into conflict with the evil one. And so the question I have to ask, remember, we got that mirror that we're holding up. Am I running perpendicular or parallel to the evil one? Is persecution even something that I could potentially experience by the way that I live my faith out? Or do I live such a guarded faith that... There is no opportunity to ever run in contact with the evil one. And what does that mean, right? The unfortunate part is if all my friends are Christians, I very rarely have opportunity to run into conflict with him. That's just keeping it real. Right? And I always ask, like, what, what do our circles look like? Like, who are we engaging? Are we only engaging people that look and walk and talk and sit in here with us? Are we engaging people who don't know him? Because I, I keep, and I keep kind of thrusting this out there, right? That Christianity is a faith of evangelism. It's a faith of sharing it with people who don't know him, who want to see the beauty. Wait, we have missionaries here who are going to a place to share the gospel of Jesus with people who may not know him. And so what does that look like to go somewhere or and to be a part of a relationship with somebody who does not know Jesus? Where do I start telling people of the greatness of what he's done in my life and where he's brought me from, right? My shirt here says worship, but the part that I really like is this bottom part. And I might make this into a shirt, right? And it says product of grace. And I have to ask the question, am I a product of grace? Am I living a life that I don't deserve? Or do I deserve the life that I have? Right? Because that then takes us back to the very first beatitude, and we're going to run through them to understand why persecution would even be a reality, because the first one starts with poverty of spirit. Now, if I don't think that I'm a product of grace, that I deserve everything that I have, then I've already missed the poverty part. Like, I need God to take care of me. I need God to strengthen me and to be with me in everything that I'm doing, because me left to my own devices destroy things. Why? Because I have a self-centered nature. I do. I have a sinful nature. 
Like, it's about me. That's what the world says. Take care of you first. Do what you got to do for you. Remember, I told you guys I had a pastor who said, if you're ever going to share your food with someone, eat what you want first and then share the rest so that you get what you want. But Jesus tells us something completely different. That's why he went on the cross and died for us. Because he simply could have said, you know what? This is about me right now. I'm good. I'm good. But he didn't. He went on the cross and he died for us. And as he's up there, he's like, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Mourning. Right? How many of us realize that sin hurts God? And do we weep over our sin? Are we even looking for it? Do we pay attention to the brokenness that we experience daily? Or do we just go about our day? God forgives me. It's good. It's cool. That same pastor, right? This was the guy who is my father in the ministry. So there's been a lot of extraction of his information that I've had to go through in order to be who I am today. But he had said, do whatever you want. It's good. God's already forgiven you. Really? He's like, yeah, bro, handle business. Whatever you want to do is good. It's already forgiven. Past, present, and future. Already forgiven. So live in sin if you want. That don't sound right. He's like, no, it's good, it's good. But how many of us think in that manner? We may not necessarily say that, but we live lives that, that reflect that. Because in order for me to mourn my sin, I have to be sorry for it. I have to repent of it, right? The Holy Spirit has to convict me of my sin. And am I in a place where the Spirit can convict me because I know I did wrong? Do I justify it with saying, well, they deserved it. That's why it happened that way. They got what they deserved. If they would work better or do better, then they wouldn't have what they have. I work hard. I deserve what I got. Then we have meekness. The gentle, right? That I talked about that silent strength. Jesus really could have not gone on the cross. He could have called angels when he was getting beat. He could have done a lot of things to fix his situation. But instead, he stayed quiet and he allowed the course to happen that was supposed to. How many of us live within the means of what is supposed to be happening to us? Instead of trying to change it by our external strengths that we have. Where's our silent strength? Where's the gentleness that we have? If you're like me, I'm a wrecking, my wife says that I'm a bull in a china shop. Ain't nothing meek about me where I'm coming in strong. But for me, there's this understanding that I always got to prove myself. And how many of us feel like that? Or we have this image that we have to hold up, that people have to see. Right? That's why we've been talking about greeting the way we do, because we never know where people are mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, none of that. We never know. But we come in here, our chest held high, holding our spouses or sick another's hand, proud, our kids are behaving today, and we're thanking God that they're being quiet for this 10 minutes. But we're faking it. 
so afraid to let people know where we really are. So scared to share our hearts and the things that we struggle with. Hunger and thirsting for righteousness. How many of us want for others the same thing we want for ourselves? Right? I talked about Hefty and, and the, that theory that he had of, you know, wanting to uh, be able to share with people or when he would move away and, and the, or when he moved Rippin and how the church came around him, they all helped him move, right? And, and, then I was, and then so he moves to Western Ranch with me to do ministry. He moves out of Rippin and comes to us and nobody helps him move. And he's like, you know, there's two things that make me sad about this. One, nobody helped me move and two, we don't know to do that. And so how do I give that to my community so that they can learn what that looks like to come around each other, right? How can I hunger and thirst for the same things I want for you, I want for myself? That I'm willing to starve and dehydrate to get it. That I want it so bad that I give everything away for it. Because I want righteousness for myself. I want God to look good, healthy upon me and believe that I'm good, but can I want that for you too? And mercy, ooh, ooh, mercy, 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 right? Mercy, mercy, mercy. We all want to be forgiven and we all want grace, right? I mean, I sure hope so because I know I want that. I make a lot of mistakes and I do a lot of things wrong. I need you to forgive me. I need you to be gracious with me. I already got the concept that God does. But can I come in here, hurt you, and know that you're going to do the same thing? Can I be merciful? And can you be it with me? I said it's more that I want what I want for me, I want for you. I, I, I mentor a lot of people and I tell them, you can't ask for something that you're not willing to do yourself. And one of the things that I used to really struggle with, because I'm not born into the CRC, nor am I really from it, right? I just showed up one day. Like, God sent me here. Like, surprise, right? Popping out of a cake kind of thing. And one of the things that I observed, right, is we're real good about talking about grace, but we're horrible about extending it and showing. We really are. I told you, I'm, first Sunday, right? I told you, I'm Dutch. Cisnerosma, right? I'm Frisian. I got to be Dutch to know that, right? But we're real bad about extending it. And Jesus says, if you can't forgive your brother, the Father won't forgive you. Pure of heart. I want to see God. How do I have a single focus just on Him? Right? How do I do everything for Him? So I looked up the audience of one. It's A01. I was close, right? I said the A1 thing. But uh, the quarterback from the Eagles just started his own audience of one nonprofit, right? Wentz. And, and basically it's how do we show God to the world? But how, how in everything that I do, do I do it for him and not for me or anyone else watching? 
can I take the actions that I take for God alone? Because then that changes a lot of the things that I do and the ways that I go about them. Because I'm not worried if you're watching anymore. I do it because it's what he says. It's because it's what he wants. Not me. Nobody else. But him. Pure heart. Like in everything that I'm doing, I'm doing with right motives. And then peacemaker. Pow, right? How many of us are fighting for peace for those who don't have any? Can we fight for peace for people who don't know it? What does it look like to have our kids in a good school with good teachers and good curriculum? Sad reality is that's not something that happens in our community. So we we are fighting for it, right? We're, 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 We're trying to recruit healthy, good teachers because they always want to leave Weston Ranch. Like how do we put our kids in a better place with... Good education, right? I want that for my kids, right? Like, I want to fight for them. So Hefty, his, I mean, they're really connected to the school, and his wife is a teacher too. And they started PTA. Like, what does it look like to have parents and teachers working together? We've been around 25 years, don't have a PTA. Some of you guys are probably like, what do you mean you don't have a PTA? Everybody has PTA. No, we don't have PTA. Like, we just got it. And what does that look like to have parents and teachers working together? For the very first time. To talk about things. And what struggles our kids are having. But can we fight for peace. For people who don't know what that looks like. I don't know about you. But I grew up fighting. For everything. Somebody had to come and show me. man, Put your hands down bro. That's not the answer. But I don't know anything else. It's, no. And had to be willing to step in front of me. When I'm getting ready to. Crack somebody. Like he's making peace in my world and being ready to step in front of the other guy who wants to assault me too. Like, because he came from the same place I did. He knows what I know. But there's somebody who's stepping in the middle. How do we stand in the gap for people? Right? Stand in the gap. How do we pray for the communities around us and the people that we interact with? And then persecution. All right, so I'll just wind this down real quick because my folk got to get up here. So persecution, it says you get persecuted. They say all kinds of evil against you. They lie about you. They mistreat you. They do all this stuff to you because of me. What does it look like for us to look like Jesus? That's where persecution comes. It doesn't come because our rights are being violated or because you don't believe like I do. Now, nowhere in there did I talk about us as Christians attacking people and insulting and hurting and creating all this drama in their lives. But there is this love that comes right. When can we be persecuted? Because I love you so much that I'm willing to go to wherever it takes But I'm willing to put my life on the line for you, even if you don't know me. And then be hated because you love them so much. Have lied about and cheated on and threatened and beat up because I love you. Not because I told you you couldn't get married or because you can't come to my country 
but because I love you. And the same things that I want for me, I want for you. The same freedoms I want for you. Because when we live those Beatitudes, we look like Jesus. Now the answer is, real quick, so I can have Andrea. Andrea, come up here with Mr. Viss. Um, is we can't do it alone. This is not something that I can just, oh, let me just behave myself and act better. I need to fall on my face regularly and ask for God's grace and strength to help me. Because I can't do any of them if I don't fully know my brokenness and the extent of need that I have for my Savior. I need Him. He's the only way that I can do this. Because I get scared, as I'm sure some of you do. We get scared interacting with people we don't know, who are coming from places we don't know, who have behaviors and habits that we don't know. What does it look like to walk alongside and love on and be with them? It's hard. It's hard. But Philippians 4.13 tells me that with Christ, I can do anything. If we believe our scriptures, we need to believe that text, that with him, we can do anything. Come on up. Thank you for having me. We've been greetings from the Gospel Center Rescue Mission in Stockton, still known by many in these parts as the Stockton Gospel Center, and we're happy to be here this morning. Um, my name is Mike Biss. I'm on staff <clears throat> at the Gospel Center. Uh, you met Andrea. She, too, is on staff. We'd also like to welcome Wayne and Carol Richardson, who um, Wayne is the chief, uh, finance, uh, chief executive officer of the mission, and Carol has just recently become the uh, finance, uh, the um, I knew I'd forget Director of Advancement at Ripon Christian School, so some of you have already met her in that capacity. We're all going to be having coffee across the way, so we invite you to come and ask, uh, ask any questions or um, come and meet us. We'd be happy for that. So, so Andrea is our capable uh, manager of donor relations. It's an honorable position, honored position at the mission. And she's also uh, learning to write grants and taking on a bunch of other stuff. And she's a much respected and much loved uh, co-worker. And, uh, but it wasn't always this way, uh, just even up to two years ago yet. She represents how so many of our clients um, come to us broken, and they seemingly survive insurmountable downward spirals until they get nearly to the end. And so we wanted to take just a minute to share her with you. Um, I appreciate uh, Martin and making time for us. We talked a couple of weeks ago. There's, we can't cover this whole story in a few minutes, but Martin asked me a couple of weeks ago, how much time do you need? I said, I need my 10 minutes and your 30. But he said no, so uh, we appreciate him making time for us. So, Andrea, it often starts with childhood. Tell us the part of your childhood that prepared you for this descent. Um, I, become, I come from divorced parents, a single mother. Um... At five and six, I was being left alone after school, responsible for myself because my mother had to work. 
I was left with a babysitter at seven because she kind of started getting nervous about me and my sister being left alone. And at the babysitters, there was an older boy there, her son. And at that time, he taught me to smoke and he molested me. How old were you? Seven. And he was about 14. Okay. So you would say that he probably helped you feel older? Is that what kind of pushed you into yeah. this? Um, I felt, I think missing a parent for a lot of us who do um, and are left alone and kind of in a situation of loneliness, you crave acceptance and maybe feeling older, I felt. So then finally, uh, after uh, getting through that, you, you became homeless. How, does, uh, how did you become homeless? You were married with children. You had family. How did you become homeless? Um, abusive relationship with my children's father. Ten years of it, about. Um, at that point, I was losing jobs because I would come to work bruised up. Um, at that point, with all the fighting, you know, the neighbors don't like it, and they ask you to leave or evict. Um, my kids were moving from school to school. I'm renting rooms now, so it's kind of a, I have my own place, then I'm losing jobs, so I'm renting rooms and living on aid. And uh, now it's hotel to hotel. And finally their dad gets arrested. And now I'm really left alone. Checkout time is 10 o'clock at a hotel. So at that point I'm left alone and uh, I had no idea what to do at all. No idea. At that point I um, start calling a couple relatives and uh, because of my lifestyle and the people that I hung around, uh, especially the kids' dad, uh, they, you know, I'm distant from them, so I really didn't have anywhere to go. At that time, I put the kids in a shopping cart and was walking around by Conway Homes. It's a project in Stockton and uh, trying to figure out what to do. So you, uh, so now you're out, you're out and you're homeless. Are you living in the safety of an encampment somewhere with friendly people, or, or where do you go? At this time, uh, I shortly after get arrested. So now we're both, he's in prison, I'm in jail. Um, I get arrested for, uh, like, drunk in public. And so uh, I lose the kids. They're in foster, they're, like, at a foster home. I'm in jail, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, this has gotten so out of hand. Um, I find out that my dad, who didn't raise me, took the kids. And he found out through the grapevine. Um, so uh, that's... Where did you go? Just curious. Where did you... You found your own place, uh, your own homeless place, by the Yeah. Um, so I get out of jail, and I'm homeless still. Now I don't have my kids. I'm confused. I'm depressed. I don't know where to turn. And I start looking for a place to hide, a place to sleep, a place to lay down. And I know i got to make some money, so I start recycling. Um, I didn't know what else to do. And I, I chose a laundry mat to hide behind because it had running water. 
Now, living with addiction, you, you did suffer from some addictions. What, what were yours? Um, probably first relationships and acceptance, if that makes sense to anybody. Um, leading to drinking, acceptance again, drug use, and, uh, and yeah. So the addictions, you'd indicated that once that the addictions, you and it's not uncommon, people you keep drinking, keep taking drugs to keep them going. Mm -hmm. It actually gets you through a day's work. Yeah, you become not, it just doesn't become mental. Now it's a physical addiction, and you've got to feed that as well as yourself. All right, and uh, the dark and discouraging element of prostitution is frequently part of the equation, yes, of this lifestyle, and you're honest enough to admit that you did not escape it. So how did this work for you while you were out there? So sometimes recycling wouldn't work out. It wouldn't get a, I wouldn't get enough money. Um, there's always, how Martin said, there's, you start bumping against what you should and shouldn't do, like life takes it, there's a point to where you know I'm not supposed to do this. And um, it's like spiritual warfare. And you you run along people all day long when you're out in the streets that don't have your best interest at heart. So, um, I mean, in, a, in, in my own way, I took advantage of them as much as they took advantage of me. I took their money and they got what they wanted, so. But it's desperate. It's a desperation. You need, oh, definitely. You need it for the money. You need it for I would, security. I would do it. Um, I felt horrible about it. Um, it was just, it's just what addiction does to you. Okay, and finally then, there's the recovery. Tell us how you got to the bottom and came back up. Okay. Um, a person that I hung around, a man that I chose to kind of hook up with because it's safer out there to be around a man even though you're taking risks. He ends up robbing me for my recycling money. Um, and he kicks, he injures me. He breaks my ankle so I can't walk, I can't move, I can't go anywhere. At that point, I'm in the hospital. I stay there for five months. I get about nine surgeries. I come out of the hospital and I'm homeless still. So I'm thinking, what do I do now? And, um, you know, my addiction kind of still takes hold of me, but I, I want to stop. I start, uh, I get out of the hospital and the only place I know is the hospital. I've been there for six months. So I take a bus until it's very end and I end up at San Joaquin General. And I know that's the last stop. I lay there, I stay a couple days. A security guard there starts to notice me and he asked me, he got out of his car and asked me, you know, what's going on? I thought he was gonna call the cops and have me leave, but instead he called a nurse and he was like an angel to me. They, uh, he registered me into the hospital. Um, when I was out on the, when I was laying out there, he, he really did stop because he noticed me walking along the freeway. At that point, I was suicidal and I was, I didn't know what else to do. I really didn't. You were taking a look at the freeway for suicidal reasons. Yeah. Um, then 
I interned to the hospital. They put me on a 72-hour hold. After that, I enter a mental stabilization home in Lodi. They talk about my trauma. They give me some medicine to um, relieve anxiety and depression. And that's when, after I stayed there about a month and a half, I got into the Gospel Center Rescue Mission. Go on. From there, I, um, I listened and I learned and I prayed. I did what these people told me to do. The man who saved me and took me to the hospital, my angel, he told me, tell them what you need. And that's what I did. I took the classes. I learned parenting. I learned boundaries. I learned uh, relapse prevention. I learned how to pray. I learned how to have faith in God. I learned to sit still. And I graduated the first six months. But my kids still couldn't come back. My parents had them. I had to earn that trust. A year goes by. Now I'm up to two years. I graduate next month. And I have a job, and I have my parents back in my life, and my kids trust me, and it's just a wonderful thing. Well, that's well summarized. The part of where you haven't heard is the constant giggle and laughter that she does because we oh there it is because we just don't have time for it here. But she's a completely different person, and we're just so happy to be part of that. So um, thank you for summarizing as well as you did. You. At some point, then uh, Andrea, between the thought of ruining some truck driver's day and mental health and your time at the mission. At some point you must have heard the gentle invitation from our Lord. Come unto me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Apparently you found it. Yes, I did. I finally did hear it, and with the psalmist, this is my response. We're on Psalm 30, if anybody wants to know. I praise you, Lord, because you've saved me and kept my enemies from gloating over me. I cried out for help from you, O Lord, and you healed me. You kept me from the grave. I was on my way to depths below, but you restored my life. You've changed my sadness into a joyful dance. You have taken away my sorrow and surrounded me with joy. So I will not be silent, and I will sing praise to you. Lord, you are my God, and I will give you thanks forever. Thank you. Come up here and say a prayer for Andrea, for the Andreas of the world. She doesn't know this. You guys, most of you know this. I have 18 years clean, a recovering act myself, and so I understand some of the points of desperation that she was sharing with us today and, and the brokenness that she walked in. And so um, let, us, let us pray. Father, we come right now and we thank you for your goodness, your mercy, and your grace, Father. We thank you for your love and your compassion and the 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 heart that you have for the suffering and the broken, Lord. 
You didn't come to save the healthy, but the sick. And so, Father, as we know that there's brokenness around us, there's homelessness everywhere, there's addiction everywhere, even in the church that we sit in today, Lord, there are people who are suffering with things that they do not talk about. We call upon you to create safe space that we can be loved and feel you and your mercy. We call upon you to hold us tight, which we know you do, but our mind and the evil one tells us that you're not there, that you hate us, but your word promises that you will never leave nor forsake us, that you always have us in the palm of your hand. And so we call upon you to keep to your promise, Lord, that you love us and that you're here with us and that somebody will come along and share your beauty with us. Because you are good and gracious. We love you, Lord, and we just pray for everyone suffering out there. That they too may find their angel, hear the message, and come home to you. We thank you for all that you do. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.